You're tuning in to the Bookmatic's Best Book Podcast, where you will discover author secrets from books that'll make you feel, grow, and learn. These authors are from all over the world, all different backgrounds, and you are sure to learn a whole lot from their personal experiences. So please enjoy, subscribe, and let's get into it. Hi, Bookmatic Lifelong Learners. We've got a great guest today, Corey McComb, the author of Productivity is for Robots, the subtitle, How to Reconnect or Connect, Get Creative and Stay Human in the New World. Now, I absolutely love this book. It is one of my favorite books of 2021 so far. Uh, It is absolutely amazing. I mean, I really appreciate the work that Corey put into his book. You can really tell the way that he writes it and presented it and uh, how much energy and heart he put into it. So uh, I'm going to give the, uh, the time over to Corey to let himself introduce who he is, uh, what he's about, and uh, yeah, talk a little bit about his book. So thank you so much, Corey, for coming on. Awesome. Matt, thank you so much. That was, a, that was a great intro. I'm so glad that you liked the book. And yeah, I'm Corey McComb. I'm the author of Productivity is for Robots. I'm a writer based in San Diego. And I mean, that's pretty much the description right there. You know, I mean, everything else we can get into, but um, I love the craft of writing. And this is my first book that I self-published. And it's been great to have such a positive response from people. And I'm I'm excited to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I honestly believe that your book deserves more exposure. So I hope that the people listening and watching this episode really dive into your, your book, like get on Amazon, get it. And like, it will make a huge difference in the way that you look at your life. And I mean, I just love the title, you know, uh, humans make terrible robots. You mentioned in your book, <laughs> right? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's interesting. Um, I, I, I also want the book to have more exposure. It's something that I struggle with actually as a writer to really be, you know, because you live with something for so long and, it, and a book can take, can take a long time. And by the, by the time I was done writing it, I was really ready for it to take on a life of its own because you're kind of ready to move on as a creator after you pour everything into the book. But the truth is that that's really just like the, you're at the starting line of the next marathon. You really have to like own the work and stand up and, and, and get the book out into the world. So that's something that I've been learning and have been um, trying to improve upon because I, I've, I've, I've got a, um, an idea that I call it, you know, less Dylan, more Kanye, mm. where it's like part of me wants to just be the, you know, the booty folk singer with the dark glasses, just putting out the work and then laughing at everybody who asked me, oh, what does it mean? And all this stuff. But, you know, that's not how it works. Like you put something out in the world and then you really still have to be in service of the work and go and own it and go preach, you know, scream it from the mountaintops and like 
chase people down and like ask them to read it. Cause I don't have like a huge audience or an agent or a publisher. So that's where like, I try and be a little bit more Kanye, like, Hey, look at me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you deserve it, man. You deserve thanks, it. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Man. And I love the, the cover, like people listening to this can't see this cover here, but people on YouTube can definitely see it. And uh, yeah, I yeah. think I've been in contact with the person that, you know, designed this and they've got some oh. lovely designs. Yeah, because I mean, I want to release a book in the future too, man. But this yeah. is not about my book in the future. It's about your book. Let's talk. Yeah, about the, book, the book cover is great. Heike, um, she did a great job. I had, a, I had a good team on making it. So yeah, I'm glad how it turned out. Yeah, it's, it's simple yet eye-catching. It's yeah. awesome. I love that, <laughs> like squigglies on the head. I mean, that's, that's really cool. So I'm curious, would you categorize your, your book as like a like productivity book or creativity book? Because like I categorize it as like an anti-productivity slash like how to cultivate your creativity type of thing. And I compared it to like Ryan Holiday's book, Stillness is the Key. It has some similarities to there. So how would you categorize your book? That's a good question. I don't really know how I categorize it at this point. I mean, what it started off as was going to be kind of like a productivity book in terms of how can you lean into the laws of human nature to get more done, more or less. Um, But as I started researching and writing and just kind of feeling the way that I was feeling, it did become more of a book about, you know, finding your purpose and then using creativity as an antidote to burnout. I, I, I want to call it, it's not an anti-productivity book to me. It's, it's more of a call to find the things that are worth doing and then do them the way that humans are meant to, you know, by leaning into human nature and kind of trying to escape the, you know, the, the productivity dogma that so many of us have been indoctrinated into because mm-hmm. You know, for me, at least a lot of my burnt out stemmed from, and a lot of the people that I spoke to as I was writing this book and exploring these topics is it's, it's, it's really easy to think that productivity should be the goal, you know, and not the vehicle itself. And in a world where we are so dead set on getting the most out of our time, optimizing our lives, like scaling every little thing, um, just that that entrepreneurial hustle and grind, rah, rah. It's really easy to start to grab onto things that feel productive that might not actually be leading towards anything meaningful. And that was certainly the trap that I fell into. And that's what kind of left me feeling because I was always doing things. I was always, you know, being productive, but I was waking up every morning, barely able to get to my computer, just burnt out, And I just was forsaking the things that really mattered. Um, So I think that the book is is more of a call to, you know, first clear the static as as I call it in the book, which is really just try and unlearn. It's more of a book of unlearning than it is about learning new things. Like I think that the lessons here are hidden truths that have been inside us for a long time that we've moved away from in the latest 10 years of personal development, rah, rah. So it's definitely about, I, th- I think that productivity is a cornerstone of what it means to have a meaningful life. And we want to get things done 
but it's really important to first align with your humanity and what makes, what do you really want to do and why? And then um, you don't have to hustle and grind like a machine, more of like leaning into that human nature aspect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And like you mentioned about busyness is actually laziness in your book. What you were talking about just a second ago kind of reminded me of that chapter in your book, business equals laziness. And yeah, I mean, maybe you want to elaborate on that. Um, Yeah. 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 The the line is busyness is just laziness in a collared shirt. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Really easy to, yeah, it's really easy to feel, you know, for me, it was grabbing onto things it's a lot easier to say I'm too busy than it is to say, Oh, I'm scared. And I don't know where to start. Um, and we use busyness as a bit of like a hedge, kind of like a stiff arm to keep those scary unknowns away. Um, and it's something that I think that everyone who has like that entrepreneurial spirit that really wants to, you know, plant their flag and make a name for themselves. It's so easy to get caught up in whether it's social media or any other, you know, pe- pe- people that you work with, it seems that they're doing so much more. There's like this chase involved where you're kind of comparing and trying to get after it and you'll just grab onto anything that moves so that you can feel busy. Whereas we kind of know the deep, meaningful work that we want to do, but we hedge against that with busyness and just fill our calendars with more and more so that we don't have to kind of face it. And, um, you know, that chapter in the book is really about how much your brain needs downtime to make sense of the things that you want to do. You know, when we're, when we're locked and loaded on problem solving day after day, and we're just like grabbing the reins of our calendar, it's really hard for our subconscious minds to catch up to like the, the meaningful work that our, that our heart and soul really desire. So the, the argument is that a little bit of laziness actually goes a long way. It's when you're being idle and when you're finding that downtime that you're giving yourself a chance to kind of make sense and get on the same page of your hopes and dreams so that you can create meaning around that work. Mm-hmm. That reminds so, me of the lazy <laughs> about the, that. Reminds, I mean, I've got like lots of favorite chapters in your book. I can count probably, uh, I think like nine out of the 30 chapters are probably my favorites. Oh, nice. Do you have any favorite chapters? I think the one that we were just talking about has become a favorite chapter. I really love the way that the, um, the heartbreaks and error pages chapter turned out. That one was kind of meant to be read like more like a punk rock song, a lot faster. So I had some fun with that one. And then the, um, the last chapter, Move Towards Your Mountain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're all, they're all my baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're the writer, so uh, you're the author, so I'm sure you have some favorites, like the last one. That's yeah. on my list. The as last well. one. I've got a couple, couple more here, like the uh, inter uh, interdependent. I love that one because it talks about the human connection we need, right? Right. Yeah, 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 definitely. And uh, the play, play is productive. That kind of ties in with the the busyness and laziness, right? Like, yeah, that's, that's a good one. That's the one that people really resonate with that I get a lot of feedback on that play chapter. And that's probably the one for me in my life that 
is when I'm feeling burnt out and I feel myself going backwards into that, into that disconnected state, that's usually the, the quickest antidote for me because mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tend to become a little too serious and like hold on to my goals and my life a little too tightly. And return, remembering to play is, is remembering to loosen the reins and kind of add that sense of playfulness over everything that I do and mm-hmm. not, not take everything a little t- too seriously. That usually turns my mood around. So <laughs> that's a, yeah. that's an important topic to me. Yeah, man, um, I agree. Like after I read that chapter, I like, I oftentimes get stuck in my work, like get so focused in my work and I kind of forget to stop. Right. Um, after that chapter, I went downstairs out of my office and I just focused on playing with my daughter. It was fantastic. Like the tips in your book really work. Like, and it's, you know, it's, it's not just story after story after story. Like you give practical tips and I love that. And I'm sure the listeners will love it too. Like that's why your book is one of my favorites. And you, you ask the question, if not now, when, right? Like if you're so sucked into your work and you never have time to enjoy what you love doing, if not now, when? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Kids are, kids are a great little recess bell, right? Um, mm-hmm. Some, some, everybody needs something to remind them to just, I, I think I don't have any kids, but I often do try and look back to what my younger self would think. As I've gotten older, I resonate more and more with the things that occupied my time when I was young. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even not even like a, a little kid, but being like 12 or 13, just wanting to play guitar, go skateboarding and things like that. And that carefree playfulness, I, I try and go back to that more and more and um, keep, keep that keep that feeling alive, you know, if not yeah. now when, it's something I, I ask myself quite a, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, that chapter, like you said, is probably a lot of people's favorite for a very good reason and uh, playing whatever we love doing really helps us to clear our minds. And then after we're done playing, we can go back and be even more productive, get more done after our enjoyment, right? Yeah, and you know, play play doesn't always have to be a verb, as as I say in the book. You know, not everything in life can be play, but I do think that the spirit of playfulness can be added to just about everything. It's an ingredient that you can sprinkle over your work and your your love life, and just how you kind of go about and carry your day. Because it's so easy to just get wrapped up in the emails and the work and the future. Right. I think that's probably my biggest thing is getting too wrapped up in, you know, what's going to happen, like projecting onto the future. And mm. I find myself holding on too tightly. So if you're able to go out and or sit down and play with your daughter, or if you're able to go actually do something playful, like all the better. Um, but when you can't and you are busy because, you know, at the end of the day, we all have things to do. Um, to just try and infect yourself with that sense of playfulness and just add it to the work, I think can go a long way in, in smoothing out the, the edges of life.
Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. Agreed for sure. Um, and you know, you also, this really cool aspect of your book, you include journal entries. Now, you don't mention anywhere in the book whether these journal entries are real journal entries from your life. Are they real? Yeah, they are. I'm glad that, that, that you like those. Those, are, um, those were fun to do. That was an idea that came together that I, I had the idea towards the beginning of the book and it didn't really come together until like the very end, going back through past journal entries. Some of them were shortened, you know, shortened and, and, and mixed around. They weren't like direct, they weren't all like direct quotes. Um, but yeah, I, I went going back through the journals of that year and th that's what led to the journal entry or the, uh, the chapter about journaling rather was me going through those journals and finding some of these things and, and realizing, oh, this would be great kind of like in between material because I really wanted to somehow, I, originally I wasn't gonna really put myself in the book, right? Like I didn't, I wanted to, but I didn't know how to do it. So I kind of wrote out how the book would be almost more like a Ryan Holiday book that you brought up, you know, and um, just have the other characters of the book and lessons without me in it. But then as I went on, I really wanted to put more of like a hero's journey in there. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that the journal entries would be kind of a cool way to show where I was at the beginning and like going through all the different stages. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it and I love, really I love how that life. turned out. It yeah. really added life to your book, like a character to your book. I enjoyed reading those journal entries. Uh, and yeah, I mean, at first I was like, oh, what, like, what are these? Are these like real journal entries? Are these made up? Yeah. Because you've also got the other aspect, which I got a kick out of. It was the uh, incoming messages. Yeah, well. yeah. I loved that. It's like a sense, total sense of humor here. It made me laugh. I just... Like, I don't know, maybe tell the audience about what are these incoming pages about? Yeah, yeah. It's oh, sorry, incoming like, messages. Right. Yeah, it's almost like some B-roll material where, you know, the first incoming, so the incoming messages are these um, little sections of the book that come in like four times throughout, throughout the book. And it's just that's robotic voice that's kind of talking to you. And it would be what like the productivity gurus would be like kind of breathing down your neck, just telling you to like, keep going. It's kind of hard to, hard to explain them, but then there's a few different characters that they bring up. Um, and they're really fun. I'm, I just about finished recording the audiobook, and um, you know, my wife stepped up and she was reading the robotic incoming messages and we had a lot of fun with that. And then there's like mm -hmm. a few skits in there. Um, and, and the first incoming message was actually the first thing that I wrote for the book. And it, ah. it was me sitting down trying to think of like, what is, what is, how am I feeling? Like, how can I communicate this? And, um, you know, can you feel it? That's the world spinning faster than ever. Are you keeping up? Are you doing enough? You know, mm -hmm. this is the path to success. Because that's really what drove the book more than anything is for me, the feeling that no matter what I did or didn't do, I was just driven by this insidious feeling that I was never doing enough. And that mm. I just always had to keep up and grind myself down. 
and that was those robotic messages in my head. So mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun with them. They, they make me laugh too. So I'm glad that they made you laugh. Um, yeah, man. It, again, then, it added character to the book that you don't really find in a lot of books out there. And like the text, the font was written differently. So those of you listening and mm-hmm. watching, yeah, the font in that section, and it's just a page or two, right? Uh, it's written differently. So you yeah. can definitely tell the drastic difference between the incoming message and the real message of the book. I love that. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, that's so nice to hear. You're, you're mentioning all the things that I drove everybody crazy with spending a lot of extra time on. So, <laughs> Oh, it made it worth it, man. It made it worth it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. So you also asked this question and you just talked about it a second ago. Why is it that, why is it that more, the more we get done, the more it feels like there is more to do word for word from your book right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that it has a lot to do with, you know, what, what are you doing and what are you chasing? I think that there's not really a, a total answer to that question. You know, there's something about writing personal development where there's like a need to really try and solve every problem. And I don't, like, you know, you gave me a nice compliment about giving practical advice about how to overcome some of these feelings and some ideas, but the need to, where where you always feel like there's more to do, I think that is a symptom of human nature, just trying to prove our worth to the tribe. And it's, for me, it's not so much about not ever feeling that way, as much as just recognizing that feeling when it comes, and then being able to ask yourself the right questions, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, am I feeling that way? Because I'm just doing all these things that add up to nothing, you know? Like, am I just hedging hedging the meaningful work with all these like tasks? Like, am I just cleaning the house to avoid writing? Am I, <laughs> you know, surfing mm-hmm. social media to avoid cleaning the house, to avoid writing? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so why, is, why does it feel like there's always more to do no matter how much we get done? I think that the first thing you need to ask yourself is, you know, what are you doing and why? I think, I think a lot of people mistake burnout or that, that feeling with doing too much, right? It's always like, I need to do less. I need to take a break. I'm, I'm doing way too much work. And I think that there's something to that, but I think that burnout can also come from just not doing the thing that you're meant to do. You know, I think that you can still do you know, a full day of work and f- not feel burnt out if you spend at least 30 minutes or an hour doing that one thing that really lights up your soul and like gives you energy, you know? Mm. Um, so when I ask myself that question, it's typically like, am I, like when I feel burnt out or like there's a never ending to-do list, it's rarely that I'm doing too much and it's more often that I'm just neglecting that one thing. And for me, that's writing and you know, exercise and um, spending time with like friends and, and playing and things like that, that we, that we talked about. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, for me, it's tapping back into those things that really smooth the edges of the rest of the day. True, man. True, true. And yeah, I guess that feeling really comes from like, we can ask ourselves, what am I supposed to be doing? Right. 
if we feel like we've done something and we still need to do more, maybe it's because we didn't get the thing that we're supposed to get done, done, right? Right, right. <laughs> or being aware of it. I mean, for me, I don't know if, if you ever feel this way, but a big challenge, a big eye opener for me was really doing like an end of the day review, writing down the things that I did accomplish, because I often will feel, you know, like Wednesday or Thursday, I'll roll around, I'll be like, what have I even done this week? I'll just feel like lazy and unproductive, but then I'll sit down and actually go back and look and like, what did I, what did I do? And then seeing them written out, I don't know why I feel this way originally, but seeing them all written out, I'll be like, I actually did write every day. I got all these things done. So it's kind of like celebrating your successes a little bit and taking notice of the work that you do. And, and then if there's nothing there, then, you know, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta reorganize. Mm -hmm, yeah. Yeah. That, that also reminds me of one of my favorite books, the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Have you ever read that one? Yeah, I have. It's been, it's been about 10 years, but I've got it on one of these shelves somewhere. I'm sure. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's the agreement of like, always do your best, mm -hmm. nothing more, nothing less. So like, if you know that you're doing your best and you look back, like you said, reflect on your week, take a look at the things that you've accomplished and if you have accomplished what you need to accomplish, then it's like, okay, I've done my best. Don't beat yourself up for it. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. 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 Oh, there's, there's a garbage truck. Hopefully it's not too loud. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it sounds fine to me. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I wanted to cover over a few more of your chapters just, just to give the audience an idea about the brilliance of your book. <laughs> uh, I, I would say probably one of my favorites is The Art of Patience. I love the story that you use of James Cameron uh, of Avatar, like pretty much 45 years, I think it was, or pretty much his whole life since he was a child. He had this, this uh, sketch of Avatar and like a short story of it. And like, I also feel, uh, I feel a big connection with this story because a lot of the things that I've personally been working on with Bookmatic, I feel in not so much of a rush to get it done because it is something that I really, really love. And I feel like I could work on this stuff for a lifetime. It has a purpose, like a, uh, I'm here to do this thing. So even if I'm not like really successful right now, I keep on working on it. I keep on going at it every single day. And maybe like you wrote in your book, it's just not time yet. Like he waited to put Avatar out because the technology wasn't good enough for him to get his story out there. So yeah, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what this chapter is about and, uh, uh, its importance in our life? It's one of my favorite chapters and it's really helped me. You know, I found that story about James Cameron because someone was trying to sue him over the idea of Avatar. A couple of people tried to say they had the idea before him. So he had to write this sworn declaration in court about how he came up with the idea. And yeah, like you said, he was producing sketches from when he was like in grade school. He was showing like, um, scripts he wrote in college that had to do with the idea. And you could tell that this idea 
had been scratching at his brain since he was a child. So really like about 50 years, he'd been carrying around this idea. And, you know, in the meantime, he made all these other classic movies like Terminator and Alien, Titanic, and, you know, it's like the biggest director ever. Um, but when I read that story, it really struck me hard because I was thinking that this book was only going to take, I think, I think I lied to myself when I started a big creative project that it's only going to take a certain amount of time just so that I have the courage to actually do it. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I ran into this book thinking that I was going to be able to write it in like six months and put it out within like nine or something like that. And then as I went on and on, it just, I, I would work at it every day and it just wouldn't just wasn't quite at that point where I knew it wasn't as good as I knew that it could be. And then I needed more time and then I needed more help, uh, more research and rewrites. And that chapter just resonated with me so much because, you know, patience is a, as a human virtue. And especially in this day and age, it's so e it always feels like someone's doing more than you are. Um, you know, you look at people who put out like a, a new book every year and you're like, oh my gosh, like how are they doing this? This is like a great book every year, um, you know, or, or, or anything. People are starting companies and there's so much movement out there. It's so easy to feel like you're falling behind. And I think that that's what really stifles our lack of our ability to be patient. I think that we're naturally patient. It's just that we feel like we're getting left behind and we're constantly looking around. You know, at least that's, that's what I feel. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, the calendar was laughing at me after the year went by and I still hadn't like finished this book, but it was the James Cameron story of like, okay, you know, you could put this out now. Like he, like James Cameron could have made Avatar back, you know, in the nineties after he'd made all these great movies, like anyone would have made anything that he wanted, but he stuck true to his vision and said like, no, like I've got this vision in my head and we're going to have to wait. Um, because if we try and do it now, it's not going to be what I wanted. Um, and it's really impressive. I mean, anyone who's made a big creative project knows it can be, it's, it's like you're carrying around something for so long that can kind of weigh you down and it takes some space in your brain and it kicks and screams and you really want to get it out of you at a certain point. Um, so I was just really impressed with that story. And I think it's an important lesson for us all to remember that when you want to do something big, um, you know, when you, there, there is a, there is a danger, I think, Matt, where th there comes a certain point where you need to, kick your idea out of the nest and let it fly. You know, you can't hold on to something forever. You don't want to be a perfectionist, right? Um, so it's, it's definitely like a balance with this chapter. Like on the one side, you don't want to be a perfectionist and hold on too long. Um, but on the other, if you have a vision and you are very confident on, and you know what you want to hold on to that vision and be patient and get it right. Because I'll tell you, like if I had put out productivities for robots, you know, maybe like six or seven months sooner, it wouldn't have been the like all like those journal entries and incoming messages and all those extra things that really brought it all together. I don't think they would have been in there. And I probably wouldn't have felt that confidence in talking about it and owning it. So mm -hmm. I'm really glad that I found that story about James Cameron. And that's one of the chapters that really resonates with me the most um, that I'm still using for other projects that I'm that I'm working on is to just mm -hmm. Hold the vision, have faith and, and be patient because 
the time will come when it's ready and you feel good about it. And if you don't feel good about something when you put it out, then no one else is going to feel good about it. Mm -hmm. Same here, man. That's uh... really there we go. Okay. I lost you for a second. Yeah, same here. So that, I mean, that chapter is by far my favorite because, because of that very reason. Like it resonated me, like I told you earlier, like I have visions for, for my life and some of them I have to hold back because maybe I'm, maybe I'm not ready or maybe the world's not ready yet. So, uh, and then others, I, I have to put out there. Yeah. Right? Have to put out there. Yeah. So, yeah, like yeah said, that's a really good point. that balance between the two. Yeah, that, that's a good point that I kind of forgot about that I write in the book is that, you know, I wasn't ready at the time either. I really wasn't capable when I started writing the book. I kind of had to learn how to write a book and be a better writer as I went. Um, mm. So it's like, are you even ready for the right idea? Maybe, maybe James Cameron had to grow as a director for even his ability to show up and do it. So mm. that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So if you don't mind me asking, how long did it take you to, to write the book? You said after a year. Uh, so I'm guessing yeah. it took longer than a year. How long? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny is I actually had the idea kind of kicking around in my brain in um, 2018, beginning of 2018, my wife and I were in Bali actually. Mm -hmm. And I, I told her like a rough idea about the book when we were there. And then it was about a year and a half. I, when did I, it was, it was a year and a half of writing in earnest and then about six months of like editing and formatting and like getting it all out there. And during that time I got married and was building my own business and doing all these other things. Um, so it was about, I tried to write every day for, for a few hours and really research and, and get it done. So it was, it was a long, it felt like a long journey, you know, and it was my first book. I, I always say that it felt like, hiking a mountain in the pitch black <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing mm -hmm. most of the time now that I but now that I've done it once I feel like I could like climb the mountain with with some moonlight I'd like cool. a little I would bit love more to see a, another a, book yeah yeah there'll be there'll be another book um but yeah it took about a year and a half of writing in in earnest mm -hmm. and uh carrying it around for a long time so Cool, man. Well, you're an example of, you know, something that could kick around in your brain for like a couple of years before you even start in on it. And then a couple of years more before it's actually out there in the world. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it was an exercise in holding the vision and, you know, things change, like you change as a person, you, it's easy. You have to constantly kind of go back and stay on the through line and juggle juggle the all the ideas that come in mm -hmm. it was like very rewarding and I've just been very grateful that people have been buying the book and enjoying the book and reaching out and I'm ready to you know it's it's really special to make something and you get to put it out there in the world and then hopefully let it have its own life where people can just find it and share it and mm -hmm. and uh, you know 
find more other heads to, to haunt <laughs> besides my own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I, I hope people really do uh, pick this thing up and see what you have to, to tell them and uh, show them and teach them. Yeah. I think you're a good teacher. The way that you write and storyteller. Thank good you. Teacher, good storyteller. Thank you. Really good at putting ideas together, making it into a presentable piece of art. Yeah, I, I tried. I tried. And um, there'll, be a, there'll be another book out eventually, you know. <laughs> cool, man. I'll, I'll be looking out for it for sure. Uh, now, if you don't mind, we talk about like maybe one more chapter. Okay. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, you've got so many great chapters. I just have to bring this, this one <laughs> last one up here. The wild, crazy, wild and crazy ideas. You got the story of Steve Martin. And I really love the naive belief because like, like I've had some crazy ideas before. Like I want to, I want to get rid of poverty. Like I want to like do all these different things. And people look at me like, and so how the heck are you going to do that? Like you got these crazy ideas in your mind, but yet you still set out to do it, right? Steve Martin did it. Anyone mm -hmm. do it, right? Having this, uh, maybe you can explain a little bit more by what you mean by the naive belief. Yeah, so Steve Martin, um, for those who've, so a lot of people actually don't know that before Steve Martin was a movie star, he was a stand-up comedian, and he was actually the biggest stand-up comedian in the world for, for quite some time. He really changed. He was the biggest stand-up draw in history at the time, was on the cover of Rolling Stone. So he was this huge, huge success, um, but his road to get there was, was so dim. Like He says that he spent, um, I think it was you know four years of failing just completely failing and then four years of learning. And then by, you know, year eight or nine is when he started to find like a little bit of success and he credits it not to perseverance. It kind of sounds just like a story of perseverance or tenacity, but he's got a line where he says that what he really had and what he leaned into to help him was this um, naive idea that he just, he didn't know how unsuited he was for what he was doing is what he says. So he really leaned into this naive delusion that if he just kept going somehow it would work out for him. And I love, I love the story because he says when he was, I think he was like 19 and he'd been trying for a, a few years already and wasn't getting anywhere. And he made himself a promise that by the time he turned 21, if he wasn't, you know, booking bigger shows and like finding success that he would quit stand up and walk away. Um, and then he kept going for a few more years and then his 21st birthday came and he still was in the exact same spot. And he still said, "Never mind, I'm gonna break that promise. I'm just gonna like keep going. Um, and I, I, I think that it's really a, a testimony to thinking big. You know, what I like about it is that on the one hand, you have to think big and not fall into these, um, without falling into these delusions of grandeur, right? Like if you're going to change the world or I'm going to become the biggest stand-up in the world, or I'm going to become, you know, the most famous writer ever. Like it's great to think that way, 
but you have to balance that out with, you know, keeping your feet, you know, on the ground and balance that out with, uh, you know, practical realities. And that's what Steve Martin did really well because he didn't just walk around dreaming. He's going to be the biggest comedian in the world. He actually like got on stage every night and he wrote jokes and when they didn't work out, he rewrote them and he just kept going and going. And the chapter is really meant to demonstrate like as humans, we have the ability to think outside the, the realm of possibilities, right? Like we can imagine, we're not chained to probabilities and statistics and like, oh, what's the likelihood and all this. And we can really envision a future that like doesn't exist yet. We can you know, like create a world in our minds and actually like bring that to life if we have the courage to imagine it and manifest it, you know, like I really believe that. Mm -hmm. But just manifesting that and thinking big isn't enough if you don't barbell that with some tangible, um, realistic strategies. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like you can't become the most famous writer in the world if you don't sit down and actually write a book that people like, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I just, that was one of the early chapters of the book that is leaning into the human nature aspect of like, let's use our human nature to think big and have these big delusions about what's possible, even if there's no evidence to support it. You know, like mm -hmm. Steve Martin believed that he was going to be the biggest standup in the world, but he didn't have any evidence. Like no one was laughing at his jokes on there. Like he, there was no one telling him he was going to be that. Um, and I think, just think it's really inspiring to be able to hold a vision like that without evidence as long as you barbell it with realistic strategy. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, human nature, that's really using both parts of human nature to get the most out of life. And that's really what all the stories in the book aim to be, is to really help people tap into what technology can't, you know, tap into that human imagination, that, um, that human magic, and then imagine and then go back and use you know the uh you know the tools of the book mm -hmm. definitely yeah you you bring up that quote almost word for word from your book use realistic strategies to um what's oh sorry use realistic strategies to realize your unrealistic dreams something like that right yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah i mean i i love that quote uh so i'm curious do you have an unrealistic dream that you want to accomplish? Yeah, I would, I mean, I would really like to write a novel. I don't know if that's really that unrealistic. It just feels unrealistic to me. Um, I would love to write like a best-selling novel. I think that I've loved writing this book, nonfiction. It's almost like I'll write more nonfiction, but now that I've kind of got this off my off my chest a little bit. I've really been called towards fiction because I love novels. I love short stories. And it's a, it's a different element of the craft mm. that it's a little bit harder for me. So that's kind of like right now, that's my big aspirational goal is to write like a best-selling novel. Cool, um, man. My strategy to do that is to reading a lot of novels and trying to outline and, and do all that. So cool, man. I'm looking forward to that as well, because I also am a fan of uh, novels, more specifically science fiction and fantasy, but I'll read, yeah, 
Well, especially if it's from you, I'll read it, man. <laughs> All right. All right. Good. Yeah. I'll get it done and I'll come Whatever back. Whatever genre. <laughs> <laughs> what genre do you think? Um, it's probably going to be literature. We like contemporary literature of some kind. Um, probably won't be science fiction, but I don't know. I don't know what kind of genre. Um, I don't really know all the subgenres of of novels. Mm-hmm. It'll be Historical kind of like in the spirit of no. It'll probably be more in the in the spirit of like Tobias Wolff or Raymond Chandler, Raymond Carver, or um, even like Hemingway or something like that. Like a, a okay. book about life. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I'm actually reading a book by Donna Tartt right now called uh, The Goldfinch that was made into a movie. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like heard, that. I've right? heard of that Contemporary book. fiction. Yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah, cool. I've, I've heard that that's a, that's a great book. Yeah, yeah. It's thick. It's very thick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm curious why should people buy your book? I think that people should buy the book if they have been feeling overwhelmed or burnt out and that need a little uh, direction. You know, I think that people should buy the book for a few different reasons. I think the creative process is something that came out as, as the book kind of came together. You know, you asked me at the beginning is what I say is a productivity book or a creativity book. And it's funny that you asked that because definitely as I wrote more and more, the, the through line of like the creative practice really came out. And I think that for anyone who has a calling to do, you know, creative work, um, you know, as an antidote to burnout, that this book will, will really help, um, you know, people thrive and like take ideas out of their head and how to get them out into the world and then lean into the tools of human nature to, you know, really step into that, that vision. Mm-hmm. And um, so if you've been drowning in the productivity protocols of the world and, and feel like your wheels are spinning, um, what people have been telling me is that the book has been a great way to kind of realign and reconnect with some of the, some of the things that they've already known to be true. Um, but just said, said in a new way and give, you know, to give them permission to, to follow suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll add one more thing to that. This is the type of book that I personally will revisit. I will revisit my notes. I will even pull out the book again, a year, two years later, and I will read through your book again. So this is like, that's how much I actually love the book. And that doesn't happen that often for me. Like I've only got like probably the amount of books I can count on my hand that I would revisit. So yours is one of them. And I hope the people listening out there will take my word for it. As they know, I read a whole lot of books. As you can see from my Instagram, I read a whole lot of books. Yeah, you do. From my YouTube, from this podcast. Like, yeah, so... It's one of those books that I will revisit. Awesome. Awesome. And that's, that's what I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I set out yeah. to do. So I really appreciate you noticing um, the work that went into it, And I'm really happy it resonated with you, Matt. It was mm-hmm. great. Definitely. So is there anything else that you would like to add? No, I would love people to check, check out the book. It's on Amazon um, and 
you know, send me an, you can send me an email. Um, all my information's at coreymccomb.com, all my social links. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram. And um, if anyone has any questions for me, you can send me an email. I respond to every email. And yeah, I would just challenge everybody to look at the things that they do and find the things that give them energy, that give them meaning and to really recognize that and to, to lean into it. Cool. I will include like all the links to your book, to your website uh, in the description of this podcast and YouTube video. So if you want to check it out, please do go down there and check it out. Click on those links, get Corey's book. Uh, And yeah, thank you so much, Corey, for coming on the show. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone. And I will see you in the next episode. Okay.